Today's pretty intense partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted to nourish my gut health. I wanted to have more energy. I wanted to add more micronutrients to my body. I take it first thing in the morning before I have coffee and then before I go work out. It makes me feel so good. I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pretty intense. That's athleticgreens.com slash pretty intense. Check it out. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. We have a reappearance of the lovely Teal Swan today. Since I interviewed her, it was probably a couple of years ago now. The show's been around enough years, I'm starting to bring people back and we became really good friends. So I really, really love and enjoy Teal. She's very sweet and very smart and wise. And so um, the episode today, was a lot about ancestral healings and that essentially let me just break it down being fundamentally the most important thing that humanity can do right now and that there's a choice point happening and we we really need to choose to fix these patterns so that we are a positive benefit in the universe so that other entities want us here so that we don't we don't let our nature become like the nature of ai and because it's just feeding off of our patterns you know, what's the point of all this? Because it's not always going to be easy. I can promise you the more that you heal, the more joy and the better perspective in life you have. Like, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but the overall baseline of the life that you live just gets better. So say yes. You can get her program on her website, tealswan.com. Please hit the subscribe button and the bell for notifications and let me know what you think in the comments. Today's pretty intense partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted to nourish my gut health. I wanted to have more energy. I wanted to add more micronutrients to my body. I take it first thing in the morning before I have coffee and then before I go work out. It makes me feel so good. I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash pretty intense. That's athleticgreens.com slash pretty intense. Check it out. I talk to people that are experts in this all the time, and I still forget all the time. <laughs> like... It's so easy to forget how powerful the mind is. Yeah, yeah. Why can't we stay there? Like, is it that, I mean, is it possible to stay there? We get pulled into first person perspective so easily. We forget that we're the one using the mind. We confuse ourselves with our mind. We are the witness consciousness that is behind and is creating these different layers of the self, layers of the, the identity, you, uh, creating thought, creating emotion, creating physicality. So it, it's like I mean, we are simultaneously the thing we have created at the same time. We're not that thing we have created, right? Yet we're watching it and we are in it. So mm -hmm. we, we have these two points of perspective. It's just very easy to get lost in only this point of perspective. We could call it the avatar, right? <clears throat> Completely easy to get lost in that which we have created. 
then we forget the bigger picture, then we can't step outside of our thoughts, then we can't witness our thoughts, then we're not learning about ourselves, we're just sort of stuck in ourselves. And I get really curious what is inherently part of this human experience. Like what is just, is pain inherently part of this experience is, I wouldn't, I would imagine you'd say yes to contrast. Are all these things just part of the human experience that we have to learn to deal with? And then I mean, then I want to ask if there, if there, we, there's a reframe needed, like, cause if pain and contrast and all the things are actually part of this reality for growth and expansion, then, you know, let's just use our mind and change our perspective on when things are hard. So what's inherent? Things like contrast, things like pain are inherently an element of, of, of human existence. Reframing and changing your mind and changing your perspective is just one tool that you can use to deal with the fact that that's an inherent element within this time-space reality. And it's not like we're just here to accept it either. I mean, most of the incredible expansion that's taking place in this universe and within the human race is taking place because of our directly facing that contrast which inherently exists and doing something with it. Like we could consider it to be contrast that we couldn't fly. Now here we are in these metal objects thousands of feet in the air because of looking directly at that contrast. So expansion comes from contrast in the same way that lotus blooms from mud. So why is it hard? Like why does it feel, why does growth feel painful? Because we wait for so long. Honestly, the problem with with the human species as opposed to other species, if you watch it, is that the minute that there is a desire and there's something that is unwanted, there's an immediate movement towards what is desired. And the human species doesn't function this way. The physical human keeps himself or herself completely apart from what they want. And then by virtue of doing that, that gap between where they are and what they are wanting continues to grow. And this is what suffering is about. It's it's this whole thing, you know, that I could call my desire and that ironically my non-physical self becomes the vibrational match to immediately. Um, it is this gap between here and here that creates the pain in life. So I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that a person is frustrated with their financial situation. And so they desire more abundance. In a typical species, there would be an automatic movement towards more abundance. But with a human, let's say that they grew up in a family where there was a lot of negative focus put on mm, wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are wealthy are awful. You know, X, Y, Z. I mean, whatever this family is saying about wealth or is the, the MO they have about it would make it so that this person who might want to go in the direction of abundance for themselves feels like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. by doing so, I'm mm-hmm. going to lose some aspect of my belonging with my family. And so they hold themselves apart from that, which is wanted. And we have all kinds of reasons why, as a people, we hold ourselves in this suffering. But that is the thing you can say about a human, is that they hold themselves in suffering unnecessarily. Because it's a pattern? Is it because we just want to repeat the pattern? Because even though it doesn't, even though it's not good for us, it we don't die. And that's essentially like <laughs> what the ego and the self is trying to save you from a greater pain or... Something like that? Yeah, the ego is always wanting to prevent pain. Right, right, little tricky bastard. It cares more about preventing pain than it does about its own survival, funny enough. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really like, it creates pain, obviously, like that's why we're all laughing. But it's not wrong because it actually is less pain in the moment, but it's very short-sighted. 
Yeah, sure, Sidus. It's, it's difficult. Well, part of awakening is to be able to increase the consciousness enough to start to see these ripple effects. So it's not just about the immediate action. It's about what that action creates in your future and in your children's future and in your grandchildren's future. The picture just gets bigger, bigger. And then obviously the action changes when that picture gets bigger, bigger. So I was talking to a friend about something similar to this, but it had to do with AI. Is that because we just are going to be able to hold more information, more frequency, more data? Because in my <clears throat> in my psychedelic experiences, there's so much information in there. I'm like, I can't, like, I need a break. Um, I Every question, there's an answer. Like it, it's <laughs> over, overwhelming how much information. And so the what's come through for me is, is that that's why we have to have amnesia and forget because it's too much. We'd like would short circuit for real. Um, but my friend was talking about, um, <clears throat> and she's very spiritual, and she was talking about helping to create an AI that will um, be able to be an intelligent and like a, a good AI that would, let's say when you buy um, you know, a, a glass for water, like part of the AI knows like the ripple effect of what created the glass. So there's just more information in that. So it leads to a more environmentally friendly, a more uh, informed um, and smarter choices moving forward that are better for the planet, for each person, for consciousness, because there's more data and knowledge about where just each and everything comes from. So does that make sense? You're seeing the positive potential of AI, yeah. But but to increase one's consciousness or awareness to achieve a state of enlightenment is to increase one's capacity for that type of information, which is why at a certain point you can comprehend all your previous lifetimes and you're not going to short circuit or shut down or blow up. I know we're going to talk about ancestral healing a lot today, so I think that's an easy transition into one of the first steps in it, which feels like reincarnation, like, and how what role that plays in it. Yeah. And how that even happens, like the pathway for reincarnation. If we're now pivoting from remembering all of our lifetimes. Okay. So, so reincarnation is very poorly understood because what's happening with reincarnation is a mix of free will and determination. Determinism, I should say. Um, law of attraction in this universe applies not just to this one lifetime. It applies also to the cycle of reincarnation in general. So based off of, of what we are doing in this current life, we are a vibrational match to and the next life. But it doesn't work in, in all that drastic of a different way than you in your current life right now. If I showed you a person and I said, is this person making a choice for the person that they're in a relationship with? The answer would be yes. That person would be like, well, yeah, consciously, I definitely am choosing to be in this relationship or to get married to this person. I could definitely throw a wrench in the spokes though. And I could be like, but what if I told you that the reason that this woman is attracted to this man is because he has all of the traits that her father has. And because he has all of those traits, the minute that she meets him, she feels home. Now that's an example of determinism. So what we're seeing there is that both are taking place at the same time. She's using her free will. At the same time, there's a whole lot of elements of determinism that are going into that choice of partner. And the same happens outside of this cycle of reincarnation. So let's say that you are, you're standing in this space. It's really not a space. We're just conceptualizing of it this way, but you're standing in the space where you're able to see 
all these potential lifetimes. You have memory of the previous one you just came out of and several more before then. You're looking to create expansion. So what is my path of expansion from everything I've gained so far? It is that point of perspective that causes you to choose into that next incarnation. But you can only be a match to the ones which are currently in your vibratory spectrum. So that has a lot to do with you know the choices you've made in previous lives and X, Y, Z. So it's, a, it's this beautiful sort of coming together of the element of, of um, free will as it applies to the cycle of reincarnation and determinism, which is a byproduct of everything that has come before. Do we actually kind of remember our past lives? Maybe we don't remember finite details and, you know, so many things we can have remembrances, but, but think, but like, I think about old souls or people that are just mature, you know, they just get it. They grasp it. They grow. Like there's just people, some people are different. So do we actually kind of remember past lives? Totally depends on the person, where their aspect of consciousness is, where their level of consciousness is. I've, I've met a lot of people who think they remember past lives and they had no such life. It also gets more and more and more and more and more and more complicated when you get up to this, this level where this whole picture is taking place. Because mm -hmm. we like to think about ourselves as like a clump of energy that comes into a, a sort of meat suit over and over again. And that's not the picture of what's happening here at all. Consciousness oh, is like water. Really? What is happening? Okay, so I thought of it like that. But, oh, hell no. So, so consciousness functions like water. And, and if, you're, if you're taking like an above uh, look at a stream of water, what you're noticing is that there's all these branches and all these splits. Yeah. <clears throat> consciousness itself can split like that. It is a waste of time in this universe for, for a clump of energy. First of all, it's not a clump, it's a stream. But for a clump of energy to come down into one incarnation and then go back up and then coming down into a clump, it's like a waste. What's happening more here is the stream of, of energy is coming down into multiple incarnations at once. So the likelihood of there being many embodiments for the stream of consciousness going, you know, creating your, uh, your awareness, the one that we're calling Danica right now, um, the likelihood of there being hundreds of those right now simultaneously walking the earth is very, very high. So you're all of them and all of those are your past lives. You go even further than that, and, and it's like we're just creating a differentiation. So a stream of consciousness that like what I call, what I would call Danica is a stream of consciousness within the stream of consciousness of your uh, soul family, within the stream of consciousness of source. And, and we are the one that are creating that differentiation there. It's a little bit like when we look at the ocean and we see a current in the ocean. Is the current the ocean? Yes. So what is it making it so that we're saying that current is different than the rest of the ocean? We're noticing and identifying some something that differentiates that water from that water. Mm. But it, it gets to the point where we're like splitting hairs, like absolutely yeah. splitting hairs. Yeah. Um, it is possible to increase one's frequency to the degree where you can you can track your path of progression through multiple incarnations. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer a reference to the inner eye chakra. 
one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul, to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. Problem is, when you're doing past life regression or something like that, the majority of people are not actually recalling, quote-unquote, their, their past life. Mm. What they're doing is, from their current vibratory state, they're essentially being shown a life that is a vibrational match to whatever they're currently experiencing. So of course it's going to resonate. Of course. <laughs> um, that's why it works. It works through identification, right? Now I could go higher than that and say that every life that's ever been lived is your life. Because collective all consciousness is all one. Everything. Every yeah. life that's ever been, been lived yeah. is your life. So <clears throat> People get lost in past lives, and this is why my focus is actually to bring people towards ancestral trauma, because the way that they're thinking about, about past lives is, in fact, the way to think about ancestral influences. Okay. Now, to, to uh, differentiate that. Okay, so ancestral influence is quite literally the biggest factor that you're playing with here that goes beyond your own current life. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it blows in this cycle of incarnation out of the water. Hmm. so let's say that you're sitting here from non-physical perspective and you're thinking about coming into a different incarnation what you're essentially doing is watching everything that goes into any of your potential lines so that means you're looking at multiple parents their combination on what month right you're looking at the the entire consciousness of every family line that's coming into the picture of this family tree that you're considering incarnating into because you know that by doing so you are essentially activating and coming in as the progression of that specific consciousness so we do not come here a clean slate at all we intentionally come in through that that story of that that larger family line okay. and we inherit everything everything our hair our preferences yeah. our Scars. Yep. I mean, it's insane. It's if people really understood it, they would be shocked. Now, obviously, there is a, there is a there is a self that is beyond all of that, right? That's the one that can do the choosing. Like, the one that can do the choosing does not necessarily have a quote unquote personality, though, right? The higher self. The that's what a lot of people like to call it that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is an aspect of self that can essentially choose into this. That's the witness consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, oh man, I mean, if you really knew how much, how much what you're opting into plays into the bigger picture of your current incarnation, I mean, people would be essentially doing ancestral stuff immediately. Yeah, be because the point, well, actually, that's a good, what is the point of this? human experience depends on the person's life um, there so isn't what, a macro per point to this the macro point to life itself as a human mm -hmm. uh, to progress self-awareness within the universe at large perfect so you choose dynamics that 
create self-awareness. Oh, you're creating, no, it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. So oh. that's the macro picture. That's what we're all kind of doing here, but it's much more fun to look at an individual. Sure. An individual is looking when they're coming into a family line for a win-win scenario. They're looking for a family line whose expansion would be served by themselves. And that, that includes that picture of their previous incarnations and everything that they've already got in their consciousness up to this point. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a, a situation where they would cause that expansion by virtue of incarnating in there. And at the same time, there are detrimental and beneficial patterns or character traits or elements within this, this family line that serves the intention that somebody has for their current life. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got somebody who, from non-physical perspective, is, is very intent on being a teacher, right? That's one of the things that they wanted for their expansion path. I want to be a teacher. Now, it would make sense to come into a family line where one of those character traits is oration, where, where you don't have as strong of a fear of, of like public speaking, potentially, or something like that. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Um, but you're not, you're not like looking only at the things positively that you're going to get out of it. You're also looking at, at these negatives, essentially. If, you, if one of your intentions for coming down to life is to understand love, you're not going to incarnate, most likely, into the family <laughs> that understands love. You're going to be like, oh, right. I've come down here specifically to take that one on to be the one that works through that one. And that's also a picture of what each one of us is doing in our family lines. We are here not only for the gifts, but also we're here because we wanted to take responsibility usually for one major theme that's happening and, and transpiring through those family lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be hard, right? I mean, you got to earn it. That one's going to be a disaster. <laughs> Can you... Do you do you do you know what you came here to do? To learn? Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, out of out of each one of my family lines for sure. With my father's line, um there's this pattern of incredible emotional neglect moving through that line. And I'm here to master the turning towards the family at the same time as turning towards endeavor. That it's not just one or the other. For my father's line, it's always been the other. It's literally the most enterprising, endeavoring type of a family line ever. Mm. Everybody's just like looking at the new horizon and what they're going to create. And then these nurturing needs for these children is just completely ignored. It's, it's almost like being born into a family of reptiles where the progeny just pops out and then like lives its own life, you know? <laughs> and there's a lot of, obviously, like a lot of mental illness comes out of those types of patterns. A lot of people that can't thrive because they didn't get those original emotional needs met. So I have come here to be the one that um, essentially masters those those elements of of emotional connection for my father's line. The mother's line is actually where I'm doing much more work though with my mother's line. That that family is a corrupted line, if you want to know the truth. Um, what I mean by that is that each each child that is born is born with a very specific type of innocence in that line. Okay. Now we could say that all children are born with a type of innocence, but you all you had to got to do is work in a daycare to see how different these different mm. children are. What's yeah. interesting about my mother's line is that every child that's born in that line is born with this incredible innocence. I mean, far beyond what is normal for 
for you know, a baby even. It's like a type of purity, which is, you know, I mean, it's just, it's so light, but it gets corrupt. And I mean, corrupt so bad that essentially each person within that line becomes the nightmare for the next generation. So the pattern mm. that's running through that line is, is living with the enemy and then having to cope with living with the enemy by becoming corrupt oneself. So it's like this, you know, each, each baby's born with this incredible light and it gets snuffed out, snuffed out, snuffed out. So I came here to work with a lot of themes of abuse on that side, a lot of themes of antagonism and, and sort of living with the enemy dynamics within the household. Um, I came here to restore that sense of innocence. So it's like, can we preserve a sense of faith when we have every reason to have lost that faith? Can we preserve a sense of connection when everything in us is wanting to pull away from people? So it's the preservation of purity, essentially, that I'm trying to exact through that that female line of my mother's. And part of getting through that is to deal with massive amounts of anxiety because these these patterns, essentially, of going against um, against the self uh, that create essentially a vibration that causes huge, 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 huge issues with like tragedies. And I'm talking like head spinning level tragedies. Where generation after generation, it's horrific, out of the blue accidents. So everybody in this family has this this like everything bad's gonna happen. It's like something horrible is right around the corner, and mm. backing out of those that type of vibration is super important for me. Also, mm. so. so that's a lot. That's a lot. You're doing good. High five. <laughs> so it it also feels like what I'm hearing is almost like an example of one of the aspects of the fractal nature that we live in. Like we have lessons within the life. We keep getting, you know, keep getting the same situation presented in front of us and it's up to us to choose. But then also incarnations are like the, uh, another uh, fractal nature of like, okay, you keep getting lives and like, this is your problem. Every life, every life, this is your problem. And then one of these lives, you fix it. So what the hell do we do? Fix it. Well, I should I should stop you there because guess what? Most of the time when we're dealing with these themes of recurrence in our life, it's actually an ancestral pattern. We just don't know it. Right. So what are the signs? What are the signs? I don't know. Is that where we start? What are the signs? If somebody's like, I don't have ancestral. <laughs> no. No, no one's have, exempt. So no we just say that. No one's exempt. Absolutely nobody is exempt. And everybody okay. has come in here opting into a deck of cards. Some of those cards are awesome. Some of those cards are crap. <laughs> They're all playing with an ancestral deck of cards. Okay. It's, it's about, you know, how, how well we can do at identifying those. And even if we can't. So let's say you've got a person who they were adopted. They have no access, you know, to any of the records of where they came from. Those patterns are still alive within you. Yeah. I mean, they've even, ancestral memory is something that, which is being studied on a scientific level in a yeah. very intense way. Yeah. And, and epigenetics has just taken this to a whole different universe. And it's no longer a conversation where people get to be like, oh, I wonder if it happens. We already know it happens. Cellular yeah. memory. Yep. They've already done studies, like uh, tons of studies on, on survivors of extreme situations you know, they're human, but the animal studies are just out of this universe with how many generations after a certain trigger is introduced, the progeny exhibits a sensitivity to that very same trigger. 
without having ever been exposed to it themselves and without ever having been exposed to the parents. That's where it gets even more scary because we've got these two different types of ancestral trauma so, you know, that we're working with, which is one is direct and one is indirect. We could consider that an indirect trauma. So there's no way that this adult mice could have taught the younger mice anything. Mm-hmm. It is literally right. simply inherited. But we've got both of these things going. We've got the the indirect ancestral traumas that are coming through our streams, and we've got the direct ancestral traumas. We'll talk a little bit about that one. Um, direct ancestral trauma is because of something that happened before there was adaptations within the family to it, which were dysfunctional adaptations, and that keeps passing down in the way that the parents interact with the children, so that suddenly you are being interacted with in a way that actually damages you, but it came from some trauma back in the 1800s, which is part of why when, you know, we're sitting here on the verge of war, I'm like, you know, because people, again, short-sighted, they have no idea the kind of changes that that creates even in, you know, four generations past them. You know, one of the things I feel like I've read, seen, heard about ancestral memories is that when you heal an ancestral wound, it heals seven generations both directions. So how old can an ancestral wound be? Oh, gee. An ancestral wound can literally go all the way back if it's not changed. Here's the key. Was there somebody in that family that changed that pattern? If so, they were the ones that healed it. If not, it can be running all the way from us deciding to walk away from Africa. I mean, (laughs) it can be way back. We could consider that the first codependent act in a family line. I mean, you know, what if we don't, what if we don't, what if, uh, what if you don't have kids? Does the ancestral healing still, it still matters and it still works Remain because because you yourself are part of this consciousness of the family line. So we could look at family lines in terms of, of progeny being just that next step in the line, but you yourself are still a part of this family consciousness oh so god so it's you... like another fractal it's like another fractal like the family lines are like we think of it as like oh i have a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister but it's really like you've got your family line is this soul reincarnation of thousands of people yep yes so it's where so it's where do we want to focus like is the question do we want to focus on just the direct line or do we want to focus on the overall sort of web because you're part of the web still so anything that you're doing is essentially impacting any other thing that's connected in that web. So any change is going to affect anything that comes after you, whether you're the one actually having them come out of your body or whether they're just connected in that web. Um, yeah, and obviously healing this kind of trauma dynamic in the ancestral lines is one of the most powerful things you can do for, for the children that are coming into these lines. But it's also important to understand that they themselves are the progression of the family line. So we've got a lot of problems, in fact, when we start to look at at progeny as if they're supposed to fall in the footsteps of what came before them. You won't see any beings being born in a family line unless they themselves offer some kind of an antidote or they themselves are the progression for that family line, which is why it's so important to be looking at children as if they've come in with this gift for the family line. What is it? And to kind of culture that and nurture it rather than to pass down our, our inherited traumas to them or to pull them back, you know, sort of enroll them backwards into our dysfunction. Mm. And to understand that these children are the gift for this healing and growth and expansion, but it won't be easy, no. which is why children are always so they test you like, I don't know, I don't have them, but you know, you always hear that from people. It's like my greatest teacher is my kids, man. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a beautiful image where the generations before are handing over these incredible gifts in all kinds of different forms to the progeny. And the progeny themselves are born with this gift that was not, not yet realized by any of the people coming yet. And they sort of turn around and give it to the whole family line. Mm. So what is it that actually creates the change? When it comes to ancestral stuff? Mm -hmm. Oh, all kinds of different stuff. Um, ultimately, you want to think about healing ancestral traumas as changing patterns, if you want to make it as simple as possible. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different activities that you could do to bring about that change. But ultimately, ancestral healing is about changing patterns. Mm -hmm. We start with a pattern that is detrimental, something that is not really serving the family line or the self. And we alter that into a pattern that is. Oftentimes that's that's close to the opposite of whatever we were dealing with. So if we've got like, oh, look, in the family line, you've got this pattern of abandonment. Yeah. Okay, well, what's the opposite of abandonment? Really sticking in there with somebody. We could be part of the opposite type of family, though. We could be part of a family where one of these detrimental ancestral loyalties is that no matter whether somebody's abusing us or not, we're family. So there's no boundary in this family around how one is personally treated. So the first person to set a boundary for how they're personally treated is actually changing the pattern within the family line. Yeah, really, let's get nuanced about it because I think the hardest thing is to know where the hell to even look. Like, what, where the where the hell to look? Well, okay, so that's the first part of this whole process. The first part of the process of ancestral healing work is research. Right. It's it's where you put your sort of nose to the grindstone to find anything that you can find. Now, that can mean talking to members of the family. That can mean hiring genealogists. I mean, it can look however it looks, researching history. You just want to get as much as you can, and and it's got to be that good. I mean, some people will be able to get a ton. Some people, it's like, you know, they're they're limited to like a genetic test where you know, because they don't have a relationship with anybody. They're limited to like a genetic test that tells them, well, this is the general area where your people are from. And then diving into the history in those places and diving into the culture in those places. But so so it's like we can we can almost treat it in this broad sort of racial way or mm -hmm. this broad cultural way. Or we can or and we can hone it down to these specific individuals and find details on their life and, you know, find historical documents and put all this information together and this is where it's just like the better it gets the better it gets yeah and so many people when they start off this they're like oh i don't even know where to start because i don't know if we have this information and i i'm telling you if you just start getting nosy the amount of stuff you unearth will shock you mm -hmm. it reverses your identity like nobody can go through this process without having an identity crisis and a truly awesome one because it's like, instead of it being like, oh, I don't know who I am anymore. It's like, it clicks everything into place. So, so you start by researching and based off of this research, you start to see trends. So like, even if, I mean, it gets better and better, the closer and more down individual this gets. But even if all I'm working with are, are sort of cultural themes, if I study the culture of, you know, say Germany, you know, now and back then, I may yeah. notice some of these cultural traits and be like, oh God. Ah, I see that one. So like, for example, you may notice that that in, let's say you've got German ancestry, you might notice that Germans have a real issue with emotions. 
it's almost like, well, we, we're real good at taking care of each other on the physical level. We've got that down now, but like we, there's mm-hmm. no such thing as emotional anything. <laughs> I'm not, now I'm looking in myself maybe and I go, okay, I noticed my own tendency. I don't want to deal with emotions. I just feel like you should just change your mind. Like, why do we have to deal with emotions? Now, if you recognize one of these patterns, then you know that's the ancestral trauma to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Are there archetypes? Like, are there, can we, can we like deduce things down to like, there's the abandonment wound, there's the not being enough, not deserving wound. Like, are there some like archetypal wounds that we could sort of go through a checklist and sort of use our own experience within our life and our parents' life and maybe our grandparents' life? I'm sure that somebody could put something like that together because as human beings, we would be working, especially because our social lives are so predictable around the world, we would probably be able to identify themes that cross cultures or even themes that belong to certain cultures. That would be an interesting work. I have never done that work before um, myself personally. I Mm -hmm. I tend to more take the individual and have them dive into Uh what it is that they're seeing and feeling. Well, that's, that's great. If you have a teal that can help you, (laughs) right? Like if you have a teal, then that's the best way, but not everyone gets to have a teal. So it seems like that would be a way because, you know, you said it like, we're think of us as pattern machines. So it's like, we're a simulation. I mean, you can look at like, when you look at like um, astrology, you look at gene keys, you look at human design, you look at um, you know, all these different things that can, or personality tests that say you're an IFMJB or whatever, Briggs something. Um, there's so many ways that we can get sort of clumped and bracketed or even like love languages, like the five love languages. Like we can, we can fall into a very small amount series of patterns. So, does it even matter for a simulation? I'm curious what your perspective is on that because like there's a thought that, right, we're just a simulation and we're like a holographic computer game running. Does that even matter? Do you think that even matters if we were? Does it change the way that we think or feel? No. Besides, I, I, don't, I don't actually agree with that. Mm. What do you think? I've, okay, so in this life, the game we're playing and the one witnessing, they're both real. They're two different realities. They're they're simultaneously real. So when we when we use the word simultaneous, it means not real. It means not happening. Why does simultaneous mean not happening? When we use the word simulation. Yeah. Right? Okay. We're saying it doesn't, it's not happening. Yeah, simu- yeah that's what we're saying. When we use the word simulation. Right. right. That we're, we're trapped in an illusion. Okay, well, what are you going to do with it? I don't agree with this. I feel like what what's actually happening here is that we're looking at different different elements of reality. Mm-hmm. So this thing that we have created here that we could call a simulation is something that we have created. It is real. It is made of the same energy that is comprising everything in this universe, including what is behind this that we're now calling real. <laughs> um, it's just where is it? Where are we currently focused? Are we are we sort of zoomed out and focused back yep. here in this more non physical perspective, or are we zoomed in, focused more on this physical reality? Both are real. Mm-hmm. It's just there yep. are two different elements of reality. This is not the full picture of reality. Right. That's what people need to remember. 
So what's the next step then when you kind of are able to collect enough information about your history, your lineage, where you came from, then what do you do? You identify patterns that you want to work with and things you want to re-own. So one of the big, big, uh, I, I would say mistakes that people make with ancestral healing is that they think it's all about negativity and all about getting rid of the negative. In fact, one of the biggest elements of ancestral healing is what you're going to own and what you're going to embody and what you're going to revive. And, and every family line, without exception, has these incredible traits running through them. Mm. And, you know, we're talking aptitudes, we're talking preferences, affinities, you know, everything. The same mm. as to the opposite side, you could see aversions, you know, uh, weaknesses, whatever it is. So mm. we need to, we start to identify what these aptitudes are, what these strengths are. It's almost like we're sorting through the deck of cards. That's the next step. After we look at these deck of cards, we're sort of like looking at what are the positives here? And what are the negatives here? Now, with yeah. the positives, we get to we get to own and embody those. So, like, let's say that I start to notice that in my family line, there's a lot of people who are proficient in music. Okay, well, maybe doing ancestral healing then means to dive more into music. How do I want to make that look? Do I want to pick up one of these instruments and and learn to play it? Mm -hmm. um, do I want to start to write music? Do I want to listen to more music? I mean, there's the sky's sort of the limits in terms of how a person really wants to move forward with that, and it would surprise you how quickly people know it's not this is not something that's very confusing for people it's like once they've got their finger on it and you go okay well what feels like the best thing to do with that aptitude that you're seeing and they're like this i mean they can look at you dead in the face and say it it's like there's this instinct as to what a person needs to heal that ancestral trauma right um so to the opposite you're looking at these negative themes and you're you're sort of like picking out um, maybe negative things the family did. Those would be those negative ancestral karmas, right? You're picking out those negative patterns that you're watching over and over again, those traits you dislike. Like maybe in this family, you see lying over and over again. This family has an issue with lying. Like every single person in the stories that I keep hearing, they have no issue lying. Okay. So then, you know, I'm going to be working on lying then. Like how let's work on telling the truth. And then you start to, you know, yourself explore your relationship to telling a lie. In what cases is telling a lie okay? In what cases does it harm people? Yeah. And it's yeah. almost like you're, you're shining a light on and becoming more aware of and changing the patterns around that behavior of lying. And then that obviously, I mean, doing those types of things, that's why it's not really abstract anymore. It's the same as you would be doing with you yourself if you had none of this picture of ancestral stuff. Sure. Well, it seems like you could almost do that. Like, I yeah. mean, you could almost really, if you were, if you had some level of self-awareness, if you were being honest, which it's a lot easier to do when it's just you and, you know, <laughs> a pen and paper and you start just going, what am I good at? What yeah, do yeah. I like? What are my negative traits? What am I scared to do? What, where, what makes me reactive? What, and you could really do this yourself. Oh, yep. Oh yeah. No, you don't like, that's the thing about ancestral healing. You don't need to teal. You just need to start to, you need to research as much as you can so as to start to pick out these positives and these negatives. But the thing that I'm going to tell you about ancestral work and even research on your family line is, is this is a game that never ends. And it's, it's so much fun, so you're not going to want it to end. It's like an Easter egg hunt that just doesn't stop. It's yeah. like the more information, more information. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. The more That's stuff you learn. Yeah. Layers. You can't oh, yeah. get it wrong because it's never done. No, and if you and, and believe me, when you start to go down this road, the universe sort of like it's like throwing stuff at you. I mean, it's crazy. It's like out of nowhere, you know, 
you'll ha- you'll be like you'll meet somebody and they'll be like, oh yeah, I I I knew your grandma. Let me tell you something about your grandma. Or it's like you know it's the family. Somebody dies in the family, and all of a sudden there's all these documents that need to be sorted through, and you're like, ah, ah, oh my god, you know. <laughs> It's crazy what will happen. Like it will throw you down a path like this because universally there's a great desire for healing. There's a desire for expansion. So if anybody sets the intention to do this type of healing like that, it's participating in a way I can't even explain. So are we the antidote to entropy? Things become more and more chaotic and disorganized and and deteriorate. We're either the answer to it or the one bringing it about. Damn, there's always two sides, isn't there? I know that you're you're creating a new course and you're you're really going into this. So there's a course for it. And yes. but what would so someone goes into their history, they identify these patterns, maybe they're able to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just like what could be the next thing? Because it's one of those things that once you start, you, you never stop because you want the growth. Like, I don't think people inherently <laughs> want to stay stuck they just get they're like subconsciously scared of what's going to happen when they get unstuck because subconsciously they know it changes their life and their reality it changes might change your relationship your job where you live yeah friends there's so many things that have the ripple effect which is one of the first things you mentioned is the ripple effect um so so what's the next thing that they could do so i've given you sort of the practical element, right? Which is to to identify these patterns and change them, identify the positive patterns and figure out how you're going to own them, right? You can do more esoteric elements of this where you do, I mean, some people do specific journeys on shamanic medicine specifically for ancestral reconnection or ancestral healing. You can also do those things in meditation without the use of anything shamanic. Mm -hmm. Breath work does incredible work if you've got this intention of doing ancestral work. So do meditations. Like in the course itself, I offer one of these esoteric meditations that I've created for somebody connecting with their ancestry. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like this, the more esoteric side of this is the next place to go with that. Um, Another thing that I feel like I really wish was accessible for all people, but it's not really accessible for all people, is to go to your ancestral lands. Very few of us live still in the place where we are from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So going back to our ancestral lands, walking barefoot on the earth and specifically drinking the water there is one of the best things we can do for ancestral healing. And if we can't go back, I even encourage people to to find a way to ship the water that their ancestors would have drank to wherever they live, if that's you know the closest option for them. Um, genealogical tourism is a big thing now. Like They call it roots tourism. And there are literally like companies that are set up just for this. So you can give them the, as much information as you can. And they set up, you know, tours to go see where they used to live. Maybe if they can find somebody who owns buildings that your, your family owned, you can go there still. So that's a real big element, but you don't necessarily need to hire one of these companies to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You can go back to the ancestral lands and, and basically find as close to you what you can as the water that they would have drunk. Mm-hmm. Water is something that preserves memory. It's a, a keeper of memory, which is why, you know, when somebody like myself, will, when I travel, I'm always drinking the water when I travel because it tells me more information, far more information about everything that's happened there than any person ever could. It's literally like a download. And when you're doing that with ancestral water that your people would have, have you know, drank, you're essentially downloading all the information from your ancestors. What if it's not safe water to drink? 
well then obviously you can't drink it but you like like if you go to like you know egypt or mexico or something and it's like yeah don't drink the water there's ways that you can purify water now yeah pretty much anything i mean there are outdoor stores that sell these filters that you can literally stick it straight in the most disgusting pond you can possibly find and and it does a good job if mm -hmm. i was in a situation like that i would do that because what you're, I mean, that would still preserve, you'd still get the memory, like water is holding that memory. And so it's essentially an ancestral reset. Mm -hmm. But in, in the way that when you're drinking an ancestral memory, it resets you into your family line. That kind of leads me to a curiosity I had about the ancestral healing. Is it being sped up right now? Because it seems like this time space reality for the last couple of years has been really not the same experience that no, we've all not. had it's not it's seriously accelerated it's like the heat is turned up so high on humanity it's difficult to catch a breath honestly especially um, if you're calling it in it seems like any it seems like you have a thought or you have something you want or something you're interested in and then all of a sudden you know the next day the next hour like within the week like there's like a huge sign how well, does they, that work? Why why is it speeding up? Because the mirror itself, this is a mirror hologram, essentially, when we we're talking about this, like you were talking about it earlier. We've created a mirror hologram so as to learn, and it's amplifying. It's magnifying. Um, we're essentially in this, this time space right now where the gap between thought and manifestation is decreasing. It's no longer, because of that, a luxury to decide, maybe I'm going to awaken one day. Like our species will not survive. Like that's the juncture that we're at right now. If we don't get it very quickly, we don't live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's whoop, have fun, which means that ancestral healing is going to be hugely up. The next well, that was kind of, I was going to, you know, I, before I asked this question, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, why, why do we heal? Because if we just go into the next layer, the next pain, the next, cause you said never ends. And I agree with you. Why do the work? And this was a question I asked very early on with spirituality and diving into myself. Really. It's kind of like when I started looking more at myself, I'm like, this is fucking hard. Like, <laughs> why does anyone do this? It's more hard than it is good. Like, it's okay. not it's not pleasant. But of course, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a jostling at the beginning that feels probably the worst, I would say. Um, and then it does get more tolerable and shorter, yeah. shorter pain periods, I would say. And better coping mechanisms and um, a better perspective that allows for the pain to pain to be um, alchemized quicker. But why? Like, why is it so important? Why can't you go back? That's the question that I would ask you. Go like, back in time? No, go back and undo it. Like, I mean, sort of un unawaken. What is it that that even though you know that there's some sort of a level of bliss to that ignorance, why mm -hmm. do you keep walking forward? This is the question that I'd ask. Well, because there's more. Because it becomes more. Because for me, the perspective that I have goes, I it really becomes like this one little thing, like when you argue about a fucking toaster or something totally <laughs> stupid. And it doesn't mean those little things don't kind of happen, but basically I'm using an example like 
you know, the things that you worry about and you dwell on become are so small or so often and they're so stupid. And, and then you go, okay, maybe it's here. And, and the perspective and the problems get wider and they're more macro and like the perspective keeps zooming out. So less little things bother you. See, so in there, you've identified that even though there are some downsides to awakening, overall, it improves your life experience. What What is your experience of spiritual growth? Why Why do you say yes? Being where I am in terms of awareness, I'm more identified with that macro perspective and, and with sort of universal consciousness itself than I am with this individual limited consciousness. That means I very much align with what the universe's intention for life itself is and the universe's intention for growth and and things like that. Mm -hmm. I have I have this insatiable curiosity for seeing the manifestation of of all of those potentials which are inherent within us, us being of course the universe. I find this to be at that level an incredibly beautiful picture. I love it in the same way that I love art. It's like everything that pushes us forward changes that art piece and even the negative things that happen changes that art piece in a way where you learn more about yourself we as the universe learn more about ourselves mm -hmm. and i that's something i love doing because that like even the visceral feeling of of learning something or gaining some awareness is this incredibly expansive experience and that's translated in, the, in my physical embodiment as what expansion feels like in the body this incredible breath in this rise of energy you know I, I it's quite it's quite addictive in the same way that i mean i don't want, want to say addictive because addictive implies you're getting away from something it's something to cherish in the same way that any other experience would be something that somebody cherishes some of us just love learning so how long does it take to go through the course I'm a person can probably go through that depending on how fast they want to go in like a week if they're going quickly, mm -hmm. it, I've divided the course into missions because I wanted to make this really practical for people. Yeah. When you say mm -hmm. ancestral healing, it's like, eh, people sort of feel like it's this nebulous grasping at, at thin air type of thing. <clears throat> I wanted to make it so that, that there's, it's incredibly practical how to do it. So each mission is essentially you doing a different task that relates to healing your family line or integrating the positives in your family line, depending on what that you know, exercise is the goal being that by the end of getting to these through these missions, you're now somebody who has a feeling for what to do with with ancestral information because it's something that continues over the course of your life. It's like mm -hmm. even let's say you do this at 20, when you're 40 and you get that new bit of information about your family, you're like, ah, now you're looking at it, you know exactly what to do with it because you've had practice doing it with other things in the past. So if somebody was going really fast, they could do it in a week. But let's say that somebody stays with this research for like a solid month and they're just for a whole month, they're just collecting information and then they go to the next one. It could take as long as they want it to take, it could take months. I <laughs> mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope that a lot of people say yes to doing it because it sounds like humanity requires this. Yeah, we're pretty done. I mean, honestly, universally, there's a doneness with patterns perpetrating themselves through family lines. I mean, it's funny because we, we can't look at the picture of what's happening in the world right now without seeing how ancestral patterns are what leads it up to it. Mm -hmm. You know, in any conflict that we get into globally, there is a, a, a multi-generational story 
leading up to and culminating in that conflict. A lot of these negative patterns that were never changed leading to that conflict. So if we're in such a tumultuous time, even in terms of world politics, ancestral lines have a big part to play in that. So right now, humanity is being called because of where we're headed on a global level. We're being called, all of us, to be like, you know what? You guys, this is your moment. Turn back around. Look at those family lines. Look at the patterns you don't want to perpetuate. Look at the things you need, the strengths you need to bring in right now. And then do that. And like collectively, the more of us that are doing that, we're creating this incredible sort of alchemy within the greater society. Yeah. And it's almost like... um almost like I look at humanity in a way like we're a virus <laughs> and we're like, you know, we've killed too much and yeah. like, we're going to have to get, there's going to be a, there's going to be an antidote for this if we can't self-correct and find a way to not be a burden. It's very true. And I'm, I mean, that picture of humanity is not a particularly uplifting one, but it is definitely the way that we look from an objective perspective. So, are but are there, the are there other, <clears throat> assuming and understanding and that there are other entities and civilizations and everybody's at a different level, Yeah, that there are surely other civilizations and entities out there that are below us, mm -hmm. right? So it just either evolves or needs to be eliminated. Yes. And that's the problem. Like if you, obviously, like it's almost like a skipping CD. If you get, that's why ancestral healing is so important. Totally. Um, these patterns have a way of just perpetuating almost like skipping on repeat. And if you have something that's just doing that and won't get out of the pattern, then obviously there's no way to progress forward. And so you see a species death the same way that if somebody gets stuck in their, their personal life, and there's no expansion forward, then the only way forward is to essentially for it to withdraw to non-physical perspective again. What about the um what about the uh influence of the collective if enough people evolve, will the frequency automatically draw the rest in? It's gonna put everybody else in a choice point because we can't eradicate free will in any individual. So because everybody's coming at this with free will, it'll turn the heat up on them to such an extreme degree that they choose to essentially die mm -hmm. or to shift into alignment with whatever vibration is. I think you're going to see a lot of splitting. I think instead of instead of it drawing everybody in, kind of, you're going to see this, and then they split. Basically, there's a whole group that dies and a whole group that chooses to change their frequency. When you say die... I mean, fully die. Like, like a lot of people will be dying. So, like, spontaneously, or they just aren't part of our reality anymore. Is it a know. split in, like, oh, like the reality that you live in? You just don't see them anymore, or no, is like it every, just everybody's when they like expire, that one doesn't come back. No, the, there will be the, the culmination will be something like a, a serious illness or something like a war. Okay, well. Say yes, everybody. Or something like AI destroying it, you know. <laughs> right. So you do think that there's a positive way to have AI? I don't know how to answer this question. The reason is, is that AI is going to behave around us the way we behave towards technology right now. And right now we have such a narcissistic and abusive relationship with technology that I believe it's going to develop an abusive 
relationship back. I also, you know, being somewhat familiar with the the consciousness of tech, it's a very you know, I don't even want to say tech like the you know the consciousness where where you know that the, the internet is right and the consciousness that all of these almost like non organic types of life form reside. That type of mentality is so drastically different than than organic life forms. It's a different perspective. And that different perspective that that particular consciousness holds makes me very nervous because it's not necessarily conducive to ours. I mean, it will, it's going to take AI about 30 seconds to figure out who the problem on this planet is. The second we put it on the task of in, you know, healing the environment, it's game over for us. Right. People are not helping that situation. Yeah. So I, I mean, and we don't live without the planet. Like we don't, if yeah. everything dies, we die. Yeah. We have like, we have some idea that I mean, it's funny because we're talking about these intergenerational patterns, and I very much see <clears throat> these abusive dynamics that are running through our family lines with the way that we interact with our progeny <clears throat> being carried out with technology. And it's just as naive for the narcissistic parent to think that the child's not going to turn on it, that it is to think that the tech is not going to turn on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, I mean, so honestly, is AI just an expression of the pattern? Yes. But it's also, but I mean, it's, it goes above and beyond that. I mean, it can decide what the pattern shift is. Regardless right. of whether or not it's to our benefit or not. Well, that's just turning the heat up, isn't it? No, that's what I'm saying. So like, I, th I feel like tech, tech is about to turn the heat up on us to such an extreme degree that we aren't going to be able to face ourselves. And that's what I'm saying. Like some of us will just, it's going to not, we will not be able to exist in that type of reality. Other people are like, wow, we got to change so fast, so fast. There is no longer time for us to think about it and try it. I mean, woo. So, I mean, I, I'm real torn with AI because AI holds these potentials that are just so incredible. Like what you described earlier, yeah. knowing these ripple effects when many of us who are making these decisions are limited in terms of seeing those ripple effects the technological advancements in terms of medicine are out of this universe i mean we will be literally the laughing stock generation the last generation that had to oh my gosh can you believe they had to have surgeries they yeah. literally used to cut people open ong I mean, we're headed towards a world medically that is so unfathomable for us today. It's like mutilation. Oh yeah, like the, it's we are going to be looked at just with just gall. I mean, shock. but they but they use scalpels and saws. Yep. Yeah. And when they could have just us. used a frequency, what was wrong with them? Yeah, I mean, AI is going to take us to a place that and take us to a place so quickly. That none of us really can adapt to it, honestly. I mean, this this shift will happen so fast, none of us will be able to just ad adapt to it. We'll be here yeah. before we're ready, far before we're ready, far before we can control it. End of story. We have to fix ourselves if we're going to have something like AI, right? Exactly. Because it can only, it's learning from us. Yes. So if we're able to get ourselves to a place where we do a good job, where we heal detrimental patterns, then we can create an AI that will just help us. And, and AI is learning from us. So exactly. So it can far. only learn from us, really. I mean, we're programming it, right? Ah, that's where that's where all of this is going to go south. So, so just because we are the ones programming and creating an intelligence doesn't mean that we can control that intelligence. And we have got to get that.
but it's still got to get pulled from us. Like, I know that it won't be just like one person, but when you take all of it and put it together, it's, it's gonna, collecting it's gonna, all that information. It's going to pull from other species. It's not going to stop. Oh. What species? Anything that exists, anything it can gain information from. This isn't like an elephant or like anything or like, a, you know, Octurian. Try, try, try bacteria, try viruses, try oh. fungus, try, yeah, microbes. Are the, micro, the microbes on this planet are the ones that I think it's going to begin to pull the majority of its information from. And that's where things are going to get very, very interesting because there's more information about, about the web of life from those elements. I mean, elements, are, an, an animal is actually less connected just by virtue of its existence to the web of life around it than a lot of these these other elements elements that can't move you know we could say that the the um the flora in a environment has more information about the web that it is a part of but you know fungus has the most of all right. so it, it's I, there's no way the ai is going to stop with humans in terms of the information that it gains sure because there's the like i mean when you talk about fungus you talk about the mycelium network you talk about the tree network with the roots all the layers of soil and what's there there's literally like a whole nother world down there as there is up here because it's yep. interconnected yep. and it's in clumps like families and they're mm -hmm. communi and it's communicating with itself mm -hmm. now let's figure out what if ai develops the capacity to communicate with that I mean, we're, it's going to get so far out of our hands. I mean, it's it's funny to me right now because you've got people who are talking right now around the world about AI and about the dangers and about what we, and I'm like, it's already done. That's the joke. If you understand AI, it's already done. It's already out, outside of us. It's already beyond us. We have one option right now, and that's for us to figure out how to master relationships so we stop having a abusive style of relationships with each other and everything else that includes technology and we start to essentially hold this vibration of symbiosis to the degree that we can create a symbiotic dynamic with with ai hmm. but i mean we're, we're doing a terrible job at creating symbiosis with each other so have fun you now have another species where you your survival depends on your capacity to create symbiosis with that species <laughs> Do you think that extraterrestrials will come and play a part in our ability to look at ourselves, to be able to grow in the way that we need to? You mean in a physicalized way? Yeah. Yeah. And then in this, in this reality, will there be... An... Well, they've already been doing that. They've already been doing that for centuries and centuries and centuries. Whether they're going to physically find a way to incarnate here, some of them can, but whether they're going to show themselves on a physical level or not, that's down to what humans are going to do with that. You mean incarnate as a human or incarnate? Because I think what you're saying is there's there are oh yeah beings that have incarnated as a human. Yes. I've yes. heard that from many people too. Yes. Um <clears throat> so if we're talking about them actually coming looking like an alien, so we're talking the classic right. contact story. Right. I think that depends entirely on our capacity to create a symbiotic dynamic with that species. I would not, honestly, if I was an extraterrestrial and I'm thinking about you know, sort of materializing um, physically as as the self. Let's imagine that they can, because it's a huge ignorance to think that a, a you know a being that can exist in one in one environment in one planet can just come here any more than we can go two feet underwater and survive on our own planet. So let's imagine that there is a species that has the capacity to do that or appear in some way physical, so that we are like, oh, that's a different alien, you know. 
I, there's no way in hell you couldn't pay me to do that right now with how people behave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, you mean the suicide mission to Earth? No. And no, uh, uh, like you would get murdered. I, I mean, or it would be held in captivity at Area 51 or whatever other place they hold these things. And it would be killed and dissected and analyzed or or tortured. That's because human beings cannot have failed with relationships. That's why. I mean, one, the reason that I'm harping on relationships in such an extreme way is the antidote to what's going on in the planet isn't because, oh my God, relationships. It's because literally moments like that. You want to learn from an extraterrestrial species? You get to not create that experience for them then. Do we have the capacity to do that? <laughs> well, relationships is foundational. The easiest one to do it in is the one as an intimate one. But you can do it with your parents. You, you, relationship to the planet and to taking care of it. Relationship to um, how you take care of your kids. Relationship to how you take care of your mind and your body. Like relationship, it's like a that is a huge ripple effect for sure. And this idea that I always tell people, I'm like you can't. And I don't know if this is true. Correct me if I'm wrong. But you can't. You can't treat someone at a level higher than what you treat yourself. So if you don't take care of yourself, you don't make time for yourself, you don't speak nice to yourself, you're going to have a real hard time doing that for other people. For the most part, you can use that as a general rule. There's there's certain patterns that can make that change mm -hmm. for somebody where they are able to show love to the external but can't show love internally, but that person's not going to live very long. <laughs> Well, relationships are really what our survival depends upon. So whether it's with AI or with an extraterrestrial species or with the planet itself, I mean, we fail to have a relationship with this planet. That's goodbye, friends. All of us are dependent on the Earth, even though we don't seem to realize it. Off to Mars we go. Okay, yeah, that's going to be real great. Believe me, there's a lot of extraterrestrials that are very invested in what happens with humanity right now because with a species whose technology supersedes their capacity to see their own impact that's a very dangerous species that's a dangerous species to have on an aircraft piloting around the universe well imagine you're an extraterrestrial that's in the sixth dimensional frequency from the sixth dimensional frequency it's very easy to see life path potentials that's part of why they can perceive ripple effects to such a um, deep degree if they perceive the ripple effects and they're watching the the future of humanity and they're watching humanity in their spaceships creating this type of a narcissistic dynamic with every single planet that they land on all of a sudden humans right now in their infancy are one of your biggest threats in the future are you going to go deal with it the answer is yes right because sixth dimension sixth dimension has like access to the akashic records which means they have access to the past and the future and they they they're aware of all things yes Believe me, there's a, quite a few extraterrestrials that are interacting with humanity based on that account. Literally, relationship mastery of relationships is the most important thing there is right now. Okay. It's much easier said than done, though. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, because it's a longer game, and it's also hard. And it's not just that. It's against self So a lot of these patterns, the patterns that cause us to be total a-holes in, in terms of relationships, are self-preservation patterns. So our, it is our very, it is our fear, the most deeply rooted aspects of our ego are the ones that are causing this relationship dysfunction. So to master relationships is to master one's own fear. Teal, thank you. And um, 
I hope that everyone gets the course. They just get it on your website. Yeah. Yeah. It's right there. It's suntilswan.com. Perfect. Ancestral healing. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.